So I got a couple of questions for you guys to start out here. Do you remember what you did for Easter last weekend? Do you remember what you did? And I'm sorry, last year. Last year. My bad. Thank you, Pat, for catching that. You're paying attention. Do you remember what you did for Easter last year, last weekend? La- Easter weekend. Let me, let me start this again. How smooth I am. How polished and suave. All right, let me start again. Do you remember what you were doing last year for Easter weekend? I mean, for some of you guys, it might be bittersweet. I'm pretty sure I was with my dad, you know, and, but some of you guys have been, you know, and I, but I don't remember, like, exa- I just know I must have been with dad, you know, because Easter, I think maybe he came to your parents' house, I don't know, maybe we weren't there, but I, I don't remember, I don't remember what I did for Good Friday last year, I have absolutely no idea what I did, I, I mean, I must have been at church, right, that Sunday, because I'm a pastor, but I don't remember Good Friday, and I don't remember what happened after, I remember a lot from when I was a kid, but since I've had kids, I stopped remembering anything after 24 hours, and even that's a real battle. I do remember Good Friday a couple of days ago. But anyway, how about, how about your first memories of Easter weekend as a kid? Do you remember like your first Easter weekend? You know, I, I remember going to Mass as a kid, the Good Friday service on Fridays where there'd be this vigil with candles and people silently reflecting. And I love the beauty of all that. Do you guys remember your first memories of Easter weekend, Good Fridays? And we'd have lamb on Easter evening. Okay, I got one more. Do you, remember, do you remember your very first Easter weekend? Your very first one. It was like, it was like well, it, it was 2,000 years ago. It was your very first Easter weekend. Do you remember that one? Did you go to synagogue? Did you go to church? What did you guys do 2,000 years ago? Okay, this is really not a trick question. It's a really important question. In fact, There's no more important question in your life than what you did that first Good Friday, that first Easter Sunday. What did you do? AD 33. What were you doing that Friday night and that Sunday? Let's read our text. This is Romans 6. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead 
indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, if you have turned to him to save you from your sins, if you are depending on him as your only savior, as your only hope for heaven, and if your heart is to follow him as your Lord, then this text, this text, and a few others will look at, provide the answer to what you did on that first Easter weekend in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. Because if you belong to Christ Jesus, you were there. You died with Jesus. And you rose with Jesus. I know that sounds like a lot of science fantasy time machine writing. But it is the truth. And I want you to know that this is true. Because God wants you to know that this is true. And I know it's difficult to understand. Do you remember what Peter said about Paul's writing? It's in the Bible. One guy evaluating another guy's writing. He says, Peter Peter says about Paul, he says, he writes some things that are difficult to understand. Which some people take and they twist, he says, to their destruction. But Peter says, hang with Paul. He's an apostle. He's a beloved apostle. He knows what he's talking about. Hang with him. So let's hang with him today as he tells us things that belong in space movies <laughs> about time machines. And, but they're the truth. So point one this morning is you died with Christ. You died with Christ. You died with Christ. Verse three. As many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus... We're baptized into his death. And we'll talk about what baptism means there. It doesn't mean baptism like the water. And the big clue is there what you're baptized into here. Number, verse four, we were buried with him through baptism into death. Verse five, we have been united together in the likeness of his death. Verse six, our old man was crucified with him. Verse seven, speaking of us, for he who has died, you who have died. Verse eight, we died with Christ. Do you see this? Five verses. Paul says the same thing five times in a row. He's trying to get a point to you and to I across. That's really important. I mean, if you look through the Bible, usually, most of the time, Paul doesn't just say the same thing in different ways like seven times in a row. But he does here. He does. We have died. And we didn't just die We died with Christ. Oh, my kids are back there. I'm just thinking, they're like, what in the world are you talking about, Daddy? And I'm wondering this too. You know, half of me is, as I'm grappling with this. But I think the Lord is being gracious to give me something, hopefully, and giving you something to feast on together in this. We we have died, and we didn't just die. We died with Christ. Verse 3, we died in his death. We died. This is crucial. We were buried with him into death we were united with him in a death like his verse six our old man our former self was crucified with him this isn't the only place paul says this colossians 2 20 you died with christ 
Colossians 3.3, for you have died and your life is now hidden with God. Galatians 2.19, through the law, I died to the law. 2 Corinthians 5.14, for one for, for one died, it shouldn't say once, it should say, for one died for all, therefore all died. This is difficult to understand. But I, I wanted you to see it, okay, before I tried to explain it. That it's not something I made up, it's not something that's said only once, it's something that God's word tells us repeatedly, and when God's word tells us something repeatedly, it's because it's very important for us to know. So let's try to understand what this means, that we died with Christ. First, let's ask the question, what kind of death did we die? We know we didn't die physically, right? I mean, we don't physically ever remember being there in AD 33 or whenever the specific year was, but let's take it that it's possibly, probably AD 33. We know we weren't there physically. So we have to broaden our understanding of what Paul means here by death. We think of death as the end of physical life. But it's really more accurate to say that death is fundamentally, it's separation. It's separation. It's the end of something that was meant to be united. It's the separation of something that was supposed to be united. Physical death separates spirit from body. That wasn't what was intended. That's why it's so traumatic and awful and jarring. Deep down inside, we know we weren't meant for that. We weren't meant to watch people's spirits leave their body on earth and their spirits are gone. We don't understand how to process it. Some of you guys have been through divorce. Going through divorce. It's, it's horrible. You, don't, you just don't even know how to orient yourself around it. I remember Jen and I had a really rough courtship. We have a much better marriage than we had a dating relationship. <laughs> we, we broke off our engagement. She broke off our engagement because I, I was just not ready to get married. I wasn't mature enough. She, she broke off. It was horrifying. It was disorienting. Something that was meant to be together was separated. It just, death, divorce, separation, it just, it turns you inside out, upside down like nothing else. Spiritual death separates us from God. Spiritual death separates our souls from God. That's why God could say in the garden, in the day that you eat of it, Adam, you will die. Something died that day far worse than their bodies. Their bodies would catch up to it. They were separated from God. They were separated from God. Joe Rigney writes, death is a separation, a dividing of things that ought to be united. Fundamentally, it is separation from God. He's talking about Spiritual death, the worst kind. Paul suggests as much as Ephesians 2, 1 through 2. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. To walk in sin is to be dead, to be enslaved to dark powers, to be separated from God, to be children of his wrath. This type of separation is an estrangement, a hostility, an alienation from the life and hope of the living God. In this sense, all of us by nature are born dead. Ephesians 2 talks in here in this passage that we're going to citing, talks about dead people who are walking. They are dead to God. They're living in hostility to God. That is who we were before Christ saved us. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, the Bible will tell you, pleading for you to come to Christ, that that's who you are right now. You're walking dead. 
we were separated from what we were supposed to be united to forever. Separated from God, dead to God, and united with, together with, united with, alive to sin, selfishness, eternal hopelessness, confusion, unbelief. We had a relationship with God in one sense, but it was a relationship of enemies. A relationship of hostility towards him and his wrath towards us. We were alive in the worst way possible. Alive to God's wrath for our sin. And so what Paul is talking about in all these passages is that a two-part miracle has to take place to save us. A two-part miracle has to take place to save us. And that's point, the first part of this miracle is point one. You died. You had to be killed. <laughs> Who you used to be, this person, separated from God, hostile to God, dead to him, disinterested in him. Whether you hated him hotly or just didn't care about him, ignored him lukewarmly, that person had to die. That person deserving his wrath for your indifference to him or your hatred towards him or your opposition to him. That person who did not love God had to die. That person, that life had to end. It had to be killed. That person you were had to cease being the person you were. That person you were had to stop being who you were at the core of your heart. And when Jesus paid for your sins, he paid for you to have the gift of that life being cut off from you. When Jesus paid for your sins, he paid for you to receive the gift of that life being separated from you. He purchased freedom. Separation for you from that old God-hating life he brought it to an end. And this is how he brought it to an end. He killed you. <laughs> that old person you used to be. In some mysterious but very true way, listen to this. He united you with Christ spiritually. He united you, your spirit, with Christ's spirit. And when Jesus took on your unclean old man, and went to the cross, united with that life of yours. Your old life was taken to the cross with him and slain with him there. This all happened in the spirit realm. Our bodies in the physical world are catching up slowly to it. One day they will catch up in the blinking of an eye. But this is what Romans 6 says to us. Let's think about it again. Verse 3, as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus, what were we baptized into? We were put into, baptism is an immersion. We were spiritually immersed into what, Paul says? Let's put it up, the slide's there. We were buried with him through baptism into death. Verse 5, we have been united together with him in the likeness of his death. Verse 6, our old man was crucified with him. 
Again, when you read baptism, don't think water baptism. Paul's referring to spiritual baptism, a spiritual going under. Baptism means immersion. It's what you would do with a piece of cloth when you would dye it. You'd put it in the pool of ink and you'd raise it a different color. So Paul is saying we went in with one color. We came out with a new one. We went in with the color of sin. We came up with the color of Christ. That is why he doesn't say that you were baptized into water, but you were baptized into Christ Jesus. So Paul is using physical words to explain something profound, and yes, we know it's difficult, but he is saying your old, sin-coded, rebellious spirit was in some crucial way, literally, though spiritually, literally, though spiritually, put into, onto, united with Christ, and then when he died, united with your sin and your shame, you died too. When I was studying this last, uh, in preparation for this, I, I just came upon this truth in a fresh way that I had never seen before. You know, we, we tend to think that when we come to Christ, when we're united with him, oh, this is, this is what I, I just need to pray. Lord, I just pray your Holy Spirit would help us see this. Please open eyes, Jesus. I just, I just feel so unable to, to, to con- communicate to you what's here. And, and I, just don't, I just don't want this to be a normal day for you, just coming in and hearing some stuff that was some nice stuff, but some of it was confusing. I hope that's not your normal day on Sundays here. But, but I, can we just take a second just to wait on the Lord in prayer? It's going to be awkward. But just, let's just take a second just to quietly pray that the Lord would help us see this. God, I feel so insufficient to communicate this. But I thank you that Jesus Christ paid for this day. He paid for this sermon. He paid for everyone hearing to hear. I pray that ears would be open today. Eyes would have sight today. I pray for every single person sitting in this room. Eyes would be opened. Ears would be opened. Hearts would be softened to receive what you're saying. Amen. Really, up until a few year, few hours ago, by God's grace, it was last night, not this morning. <laughs> I'd thought for my whole Christian life that when I was united to Christ Jesus, it was like God had to come and scrub my sin away, and then he'd unite me with Jesus. Right? He'd clean my heart some way. He'd clean my heart with the blood of Christ, like he'd take the sponge with the blood of Christ and wash my heart off, right? And then I could be united with Christ Jesus. And that sounded beautiful and wonderful, and I loved it. But last night I saw something that I've never seen before in my heart. I've read it a million times. We were buried with him through baptism into death. We were united together with him in the likeness of his death. And then we were crucified. Who was it? that was united with Christ, who was then put to death? Who was it 
that was united with Jesus Christ who was then put to death? Was it your new beautiful soul? Was it your pure clean heart that was united to Jesus Christ? That was united with the Son of God and that pure beautiful new fresh clean heart was then put to death? Is that who Jesus united with himself on that cross? No! It wasn't that person. It was the person who didn't care about God. It was the person who didn't want God. It was the person covered with sins and shame against God. It was the person under God's wrath. It was the person with hostility towards God who doesn't want God to rule over him. It was that person that Jesus Christ grabbed and united with himself. And he covered himself with you. And he identified himself with all of you. The the not new you. The old you. The sins you. The shame you. The I don't want God. The I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to follow him. That's the one that he grabbed into his arms. Remember what we saw last Sunday? The Jesus who puts the towel around his waist, puts his hands on your feet, washes off the feces on them, and the dirt and the grime and the urine Well, here he is again, doing spiritually what that was just a metaphor for. See, I always thought that Jesus waited until I was perfect to unite myself with him. I always thought he waited until I was spotless and clean. I don't know how I was so blind to this for years. No, he, he took you at your very worst. And he united yourself with him. And he became your sin. See, that union? There was no difference in that moment between your sin and your shame and Jesus Christ. And all his dignity and all his glory and all his holiness. He set it aside in a sense and he took who you are and he identified himself with your sin. He took it on himself. And he let his father put him to death. Yes, (laughs) your old man, your old God-hating or God-indifferent to God, those two, the God-haters and the God-indifferent are really best friends. You're, you're unable to obey God as God. You're unable to love God as God. You're unable to want God as God, serve God as God. That person 
was united with Jesus Christ, the pure, holy, sinless Son of God. And he became accursed. He became contaminated with your sin on purpose because he loved you. And when God put nails through his hands and through his feet and pierced him into his heart, when God crushed him, he crushed your old rebellious person. That's what happened to you on that first Good Friday. And that's what can happen to you on that first Good Friday if you will have him. If you will have him, he will have you. Whoever comes to me, he says, I will by no means turn away. If you want your old life indifferent to God, hostile to God, if you want it put to death and you don't think it is this morning, he'll take you. And you can be with him on Good Friday. And find your old life cut off from you. So now I bet you can guess what I mean when I ask you where you were on that first Easter. <laughs> right? You know where we're going? Coming back to verse 4 in Romans 6. We were buried with him into death just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. Even so, we should also walk in the newness of life Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Notice those words. We were buried with him, dot, 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 just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even we also. So that we should walk in the newness of life. Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but what? alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Ephesians 2 says this even more clearly. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with who? With Christ. By grace you have been saved. And what did God do? And raised us up, say it, with him. And seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Colossians 2, 13. And we'll look at 3, 1. You also were what? Raised. With who? Him. Through faith in the working of God. That is, it is by believing that you receive that. You were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead and you being dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. That's a code word for uncleanness or hostility towards God. He has made alive together with him having forgiven you all trespasses if then you were 
raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. All these passages and others point to the parallel fact of not just your death with Christ in his death, death, but your rising with him in his resurrection. Now again, I'm not saying that in a spiritual way, I'm sorry, in a physical sense, you were transported to AD 33, you got inside the flux capacitor car from Back to the Future, and you drove back, Doc was, go Marty, go to Jerusalem, you know, and you drove back there and you made it and you got inside the tomb, hey Jesus, it's me, Marty McFly, and you got inside the tomb, let's go Jesus, and you walked out, you know, that's not what we're talking about here. But we're talking about something more real than that. Because to God, what we see with our eyes is the lesser reality than what is true in the spirit world. In a spiritual plane of dimension, outside of space and time as we think of it, but as real or concrete, God is And it is God that counts. God is saying to you, you were truly raised with Christ so that it is fine for you to say, I was raised with Christ when he rose from the grave. Don't worry, that math is not gonna boggle God's mind. He wants you to say that. Just as we were united to him as sinners and put to death with him as he was made to be our sin, And he was put to death, so we rise. And because he rises, different, right? He doesn't rise covered with our shame. Because he rises, different. He doesn't rise covered with our sin still. Because he rises, different. And because we're united with him, guess what? We rise different. We rise different. We we rise with him, not fundamentally as sinners covered in our sin, because he's not still covered on our, with our sin and he paid for it. It's just done with it. That's what Paul means here. Let's go back up. Now if we died, listen to what Paul says here. Next slide. Now if we died, it should be right around there. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. By the way, he's not, right here in these passage verses, I don't believe he's talking about our future resurrection, body resurrection, which is coming and which is awesome and which most Sunday Easter sermons are about. That's not, this is not about that today. I just felt like this is what God had for you today, so I'm not apologizing. But we're talking about the resurrection you've already experienced today, okay? Paul is saying, if we died with him, then we believe that we should also live with him right now, Paul is saying, right now. Everything Paul's talking about in Romans 6 primarily is right now living, okay? He's saying if we died with him, we shall live with him right now. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. And so our union with him is not gonna be crushed. Our union with him is not allowed to be ended. Our union with Christ is not allowed to be defeated because he's done with separating from us. He's done with that. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. He's done with your sin. He took it, he put it on himself, he covered himself with it, And he paid the full penalty with it. And he rose different. And the life that he lives, he lives to God. He doesn't live right now paying for your sin. He doesn't live right now being sin. He lives right now a life for God. For God. Now yes, in in that absolute true sense, he did that for God. But, But the point is, Jesus' identity is fundamentally not sin anymore. It was 
His fundamental identity on Calvary, on that cross, was your sin. His fundamental identity right now is not your sin. What does that mean about you who are related to him unity-wise? You are united with him. You are in union with him. Is your fundamentally, fundamental identity sinner anymore? No, it can't be. And I know we love the doctrine of sin for it gives us hope in Christ. It keeps us humble. It reminds us that we still have a battle to fight, but we cannot fundamentally think ourselves as sinners. We can't. Otherwise, this is wrong. Otherwise, the Bible is wrong, <laughs> right? You never want your systematic theology to get in a car accident with the Bible. The Bible is a Mack truck. Your systematic theology is a little huffy bike with flags on it, right? Bible always wins. It's not what Paul does in the New Testament. Almost, you know, a few times, he, James talks about we are sinners, we still struggle with sin. Paul says I'm the chief of sinners. But the, the overwhelming majority of what Paul does is he calls you a saint, And he calls you by virtue of what Christ has done to live like a saint. He has high expectations for us because he has high expectations for Jesus Christ in you. Do you understand? So Paul says, so you also, verse 11, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin. Done with it. No longer identified with it. No longer controlled by it. But alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus has killed that old life of yours. It's not who you are. You are new. No longer with a sinful heart at the core of who you are, but with Christ himself at the core of your heart. I know this is hard to understand. Why do we still sin? And part of of the explanation, I believe, and this is a little bit slightly, it certainly is within the pale of orthodoxy. It's a little bit awkward. I'm I'm at this point in my theological understanding, I'm a trichotomist. I believe the human being has at least three parts. I believe we have body, mind, and soul. 1 Corinthians 14 bears it out when it talks about we can pray in the spirit, but our mind doesn't understand what's going on. So there's some distinction in our immaterial person between our mind and our spirit. I believe that we're body, mind, and spirit. And there are different ways that theologians can take to understand this, but one of the ways that I try to understand this is that my spirit was made new. My spirit was made new, brand new, united with Christ's spirit. It's pure, it's holy, it's not defiled by sin. My mind is another situation. My mind, where I actively deal with this world, where I actively deal with the thoughts, emotions, hearts, desires of my old life that I can still remember. My mind is this playground. It's caught between these two worlds. My spirit is never gonna be unreborn. My spirit is never gonna be dead to God again. But my mind has to be renewed. Your mind has to be renewed. Romans 12 tells us that. Be renewed in your mind. My body, whew, that's a sad situation. <laughs> my, mind, my mind's gonna be renewed. The body outside, whew, it's going down. <laughs> Quickly or slowly, it's going down. Outwardly, we are wasting away. Inwardly, we're being renewed. In our spirits, we have already been born again. That's, that's how I kind of try to do this. So, so Jesus has given you a new spirit, and at the core of that new spirit is not sin, is not a person hostile to God. At the core of that person, at the core of Josh Govan, is a person who loves God and wants to please God. That's why even when your mind sins, your spirit keeps coming back to his spirit. Your spirit inside cries with his spirit. That's not who we are. That's not who we are. And you fight to come back to him. You have been raised with Christ. You have died. Colossians 1 says, 
Your life is hidden with Christ. And then verse four, this is talking about the core of who you are. Colossians three is up there. Colossians three, look at that last verse. Four, when Christ, who is what? Who is your life? Does it say who will be? No, it says Christ who is your life. If I had the spirit of, of, of Lori Madison and I cracked it open and I looked at what was right in the middle, that tasty nougat center of the candy bar, <laughs> what would be right there? It would be Jesus Christ. At the very core of Lori's heart is Jesus Christ living as her savior, as her life, as her strength, as her greatest friend. That's why you want God. That's why you long to be closer to God. That's why you keep seeking after God. Yes, imperfectly. Because yes, we can and do still sin. But when we do sin, we're not living out of the very core of who we are. And we know that. We're giving in to lies about us. And that's why if you're in Christ, you never feel at home in your sin fully and finally. I just, I, I just don't, you know, I just don't. It, it, it can really numb me, it can numb me, it can numb me, but it just rots in there. Sooner or later, you will long to come home to the true father living inside of you. Folks, this is what it means to be reborn. It starts on Good Friday, AD 33, where our bondage to our old life ended. That old self was put to death on Calvary with Jesus Christ. As surely as he died on that cross, your old person died on that cross with him if you belong to him. And he does that work, not you. Yes, we participate in the effects of it, right? The Israelites had to fight for Canaan, but it was theirs. God was just waiting for them to believe it. If you have a great uncle and he was a billionaire and he dies and he leaves you $4 billion and it's in the bank account. And you didn't know you, you had him and you just found out. You might not believe that's true. But after the lawyers do their thing, it doesn't matter what you believe. That's in your bank account. You can decide that it's too crazy and you don't really believe it or you're not gonna draw the money out, but it's yours. You have to decide whether or not you have to participate in feeling the effects of that or not. <laughs> but the money is yours. It belongs to you. You can spend it or not. But, but this is what happened. You may not remember AD 33, Good Friday, and Easter Sunday. I don't remember last year's. <laughs> but I was at both of them. Our new life begins with that new life, his new life on Easter Sunday. It explodes from the tomb your new life in power and light and life. When he rises, and listen, and he, in a sense, but that's true, he rises cradling you as a newborn spirit in his arms. Just as surely as he, he cradled you on the cross and hung up there, put you on his back when he took your sin. So he walked out of that tomb with you in his arms, born anew. And the fruit of Easter is not finished. There is a final resurrection for us still coming when our physical death will be overturned, when sin will not only be abhorrent to us and something we want to flee, it will be literally impossible for us to sin. But we have, in this crucial sense, already been raised from the dead by Christ Jesus. This brings me to my final point. Who do you think you are? 
Who do you think you are? I don't mean it in that way. I want to say, who do you think you are? No, no, I just mean, who do you think you are? God states this in so many ways in scripture that it is a crucial question. It has everything to do with how we're to live. And we've been, we've been given this by him and God doesn't want us to do a drive-by on it and move on to doing good and being good, being good boys and girls. No. In Romans 6, after spending all this time screaming <laughs> at the Romans these incredible truths, Paul says, Reckon yourselves to be dead to sin. After he tells him, he tells him something. After he tells him all the facts, he has to tell him this in verse 11. He has to tell him this. You have to say, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God. Well, Paul, didn't you just tell me that I was? Yeah, 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 yeah. But you have to believe it. Like, you have to fight for this. You have to believe this is true. You have to consider, you have to honor God's word. You have to ingest this, embrace this, and decide that you're gonna say, this is true about me. And therefore, having heard this truth, coming to believe this is true, and now you doing the job of reckoning, this is who I am now. Now, in light of that, in light of that, in light of who you are, in light of that, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. In light of that, do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. In light of that, present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead. Present yourselves to God as being those who need to really try to stop being a sinner and, and save yourselves. No, it, reckon yourselves to God. Present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead. And then he says in verse 14, for sin shall not have dominion over you for you're not under law, but under grace. But brothers and sisters, this whole thing happened as a gift for you. It's not something you had to earn. It's not something that God's, listen, Paul's words here, they imply a fight for holy living. yes but they proclaim that fight based on the existence already of a new life of holiness that is already holy, that is you at your call, at your core. Notice before Paul tells us to flee sin and present ourselves to God, he not only tells us all he's, but he stops and says, reckon yourselves. Notice that again if you didn't re- re- see it before. You have experienced the radical work of dying and rising with Jesus. He has made you new, alive to his spirit. He is a father to you now. His mercy and grace and power are for you. We've often been warned against name it, claim it Christianity, right? You guys have heard name it, claim it Christianity. You've heard it, you've heard it um, held in contempt, right? I, and to some degree, I hope you have, you know? I'm gonna, I, I, I've told you guys about seeing this, this preacher. If I believe God, if I wanna believe God for a jet plane, nobody can tell me I can, you know? This horrible theology from hell, this TV preacher. I mean, not, plenty of good TV preachers, I'm sure. It wasn't bad because he was on TV, but it, it was just awful to see that it just was jarring, right? That's name it, claim it. Right? I want that car. I want that perfect health. I want that. I'm going to believe God for it. It's going to happen. But listen, this is name it, claim it. <laughs> this is the good name it, claim it. Paul says, claim this. I've named it for you. You claim it. It's yours. This is what you should believe. If it is right and necessary, then name it and claim it. If it is given to you by God through Jesus Christ and his word, then name it and claim it. That is what Paul is saying in verse 11. Reckon yourselves to be dead to sin's power. Have you ever driven by a dead animal? 
right? We've all had that wonderful experience. We have it many times a week sometimes if you live out in the country. <laughs> Listen, next time, pull your car over where the dead animal is. Let's just take a deer. Everyone visualize it's gross deer. <laughs> Sorry on Easter Sunday. But, but go pull over. Just do this next time for me as a favor. I'd really appreciate it. Go over the dead animal and then go right up to him and get in his face. Choose one that has a face still and, and jump up and down and scream. And then find something, you know, if it's a deer, try to figure out what his favorite dinner would be and, and bring that to him and put it right in front of his nose and jump up and down and say, dinner, deer, dinner. What does that deer do? It, it, it keeps being dead. It's dead to you. You have no influence or effect or sway with all of your jumping and all, why are you doing all that jumping? That's crazy, by the way, you weird person. Because I told you to and you did what your pastor said. No, no, no. Point is, Paul says, listen, that's what happened to you in the deeper sense. So believe it. Oh, I, I know this is not, well, I just have to keep going. This is what the Lord commands us to do. Believe you are dead to sin. Believe you are dead to hopelessness as your destiny. Believe that you are dead to Satan's lies about your life and about your future. Believe that you are dead to the control of fits of rage. Believe that you are dead to the control of lust over your heart. Lust for illicit images, lust for money, lust for sleep. Believe that you are dead to greed as things that can dominate you. Believe that you are dead to slavery to fear and slavery to anxiousness because Christ is your life. He is your very life. He is not going to leave you ever. He is not going to leave you to your own resources or power ever. Yes, he will let you feel your weaknesses so that you can flee and learn your dependence and your need for him. But believe you are alive to him, to him. And this is so crucial, guys. Listen, we don't have an independent new life. We weren't dead, period. We were dead to God. In relationship and orientation to God, we were dead. And so we aren't alive, period. We are alive to God, in orientation to God. Our new life is to be a life of dependence on God that we are now alive to. And so believe that you are alive to his promises. Spend time reading and listening to his promises. The Christ in your heart will feed your heart on those promises. Believe that you are alive to his deliverance. So cry out regularly for and believe it is coming for you. Believe you are alive to his desires that he's put inside you. Galatians 5, 16, 17 tells us that the Holy Spirit desires inside of us so that we choose the right things even as the flesh tries to desire against those desires. And so believe in Christ's desires in you. Ask him to help you recognize the spirit desiring in you and leading you into ways of love and faithfulness and gentleness and kindness and self-control. For those are his ways. But he lives in you to give those things to you, to swell that in you. Believe in his ability to communicate to you through his holy word because his holy son lives in your heart to help you hear it. Believe in his ability to communicate to you through his indwelling spirit, reminding you of his truth, helping you, comforting you in your day. You're alive to him now. Expect him to. Cry out to him too. 
Believe that you're alive to his throne where he will always hear your prayer, where his answer will always be the best answer. So spend much time there because you're alive to it now. And that's where your life is now. And don't be afraid, little flock, to obey him. Just as he says when he says by Paul here, present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you're not under the law, but under grace. Listen, sin can no longer condemn you for your sin. Satan can no longer condemn you when you fail. Even when you fail, you can only, and what Paul says, he says you're not under law anymore. In the past when we'd sin outside of God, it would just incur more of God's wrath and we would incur more of God's imprisonment to sin. But now when you sin, even when you fail, you can receive mercy and you can only receive merciful discipline and continued forgiveness from your father. You can't receive his everlasting wrath anymore. The truth is sin no longer, but but the bigger truth is sin no longer has a right to rule you. Only God does. Because you've been made new at your core. So you can follow him. Oh man. This has been a lot for you guys to listen through. but But I hope, I hope you walk out of here today touched by the Holy Spirit and his word so much. I hope that I continue to be able to walk in these things with you. And take hold of that with which, take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of us. Persevere in these things. Can the band come up? We'll close. Let me pray for you all.